Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. You say we don't know, we say we don't know, we say... Trek this out! Hello, and welcome to the Star Trek podcast, Trek This Out. I'm your host, Bob, and I'm joined on the bridge uh, by my co-host, Andrea. Hello. John. Hello. Lindsay. Hello. And Sookie. Hello. Uh, this week we are reviewing the Star Trek The Next Generation uh, first adventure in Catwood at Farpoint. Uh, we'll be giving our lights out of five, reading out your feedback to the story, and voting for this week's red shirt. So without further ado, I'm going to turn warp on. Before we crack on uh, into review, um, anyone got any gossip news? What you been up to? John, start with you. You've been doing some wood, probably. I always like to know about your wood whittling. Yeah, the uh, the wood has been delivered to the wood recipients. Uh, oh yes. There was a video uh, of the making of uh, Deb's box, as it happens. Oh, <laughs> I was just taking a drink then, John. That was not the time to do that. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, that's all. That's all for me. Yeah. So everyone seemed happy on the pictures that they sent across, didn't they? It is very nice of them to do that. I tell you what, it looks fucking ace like John. I'll be on, I'll be brutally honest with you. I am very impressed. Um, yeah. Well, thankfully, uh, impressing you, Bob, is prob- probably my primary goal in life. Well, it so. is, and it has been for many a year, John. I'm pleased. It has. I'm, yes. I'm pleased with that. Have you got any new sucky? Uh, no. Gossip? Anything? Just anything? Come on, open up. Like, tell us all about it. Like you're turning fucking fifty, not telling anyone. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I didn't tell anybody, did I? I didn't want to tell anybody that oh. I was turning fifty. Grandpa, we yeah. love you. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Lynn. <laughs> so to be fair, cool. I did not post that video. Oh, no. That's something else. Red shirt nomination already for Lynch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, happy Should birthday, it's okay. We'll read by other people on the podcast. That's all I can say. Well, you kept that quiet, but happy birthday. Oh, thank you. No, I had more reasons for keeping it quiet, and then because uh, the kids all put a bit of effort into actually giving me a lovely Doctor Who themed kids party, mm. right? Even in lockdown, I thought, okay, I'll just put it out there to uh, thank them, and uh, I've got some nice messages back. We don't talk about that Doctor Who on uh, on this podcast, bloody Doctor Don't we? We've done it bloody in every Doctor single episode. I know, that was a so that was a little little joke. But happy birthday, it's okay. Uh, Andrew, have you got any news? Um, nothing in particular. If anyone's a sort of user of Instagram, um, quite a few, particularly the Discovery cast, are doing kind of live videos. So you can join, you, you can ask questions, that kind of thing. It, it's quite chatty, it's quite informal. I've kind of jumped in a couple of those. Um, so that's something to, to keep people busy um, if they're um, they're looking for things to do at home. Um, time difference is a, a bit of an issue. Um, so they're usually quite early in the morning. Mm. Um, but there's, there's things to look out for there if, if anyone wants to sort of ask a couple of questions or, or just have a little bit of a chat or just l- listen to other people's questions and stuff. Is it all, um, so is it all, been... all live kind of thing? You can interact with them yeah. and stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite fun um, and it's nice of them to 
to offer to do that. Mary Chifo did one the other day, and Wilson Cruz has done a few. Um, so sort of keep your eyes peeled for those. Awesome. Sounds great. You got out, Linz. Um, well, the lovely Patrick Stewart is still reading sonnets, so my world's brighter than it would be otherwise. Absolutely. Um, there's a new podcast coming out with uh, Harry Kim yeah. and Paris. Um, I don't know the actors' names. You lot do, probably. <laughs> Lindsay, you will. Robert Duncan McNeil and Garrett Wang. Yeah. Garrett Wang. Wang. What a name. Wang Wang. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, Apologies, I'm not no, it's, sure. It's, it's Wang. Uh, um, um, so, so that, <laughs> it is now. So, yeah, it is now. So Paris joined... Uh, uh, has just joined the internet pretty much, hasn't he? We worried about that last week. Uh, he's already doing a podcast, and I can't wait because I love them too. I think, he, well, cross fingers, it'd be quite funny going through what Voyager, aren't they? So, yeah, and I think Robert Duncan McNeil has kind of taken to it a bit like Dr. Water because he's sharing like behind the scenes Polaroids of him getting made up for uh, Threshold and other such exciting episodes that I may or may not choose later. Excellent. Oh, no, that's cool. That's cool. Um, cool. Is that it, boys and girls? I think so. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Let's get this. Tonight, the 24th century begins. Welcome to the Enterprise. In a special world premiere movie, Star Trek, The Next Generation. Ready for departure, sir. Engage. 78 years have passed since the days of the original USS Enterprise. Now a new galaxy starship has been designed with a new team of highly skilled Federation explorers. Starfleet Captain Jean-Luc Picard, Commander Riker, Executive Officer, Chief Medical Officer Crusher, and her brilliant son, Wesley, Lieutenant Commander Data, an android, the telepathic Troy, Geordi, a man with unique vision, Security Officer Yar, and Klingon Officer Worf. Shields and deflectors up, sir. Go to yellow alert. Their first mission, investigate a new star base on planet Denim 4. Thou art directed to return to thine own solar system immediately. A hostile alien threatens the crew. Now go back. Or thou shalt most certainly die. But they're determined to finish their mission. Arm aft photon torpedoes. Place them on ready status. Hostel is now beginning to overtake us, sir. Together, they stand trial before a merciless court. You will now answer to the charge of being a grievously savage race. Now, they have 24 hours to uncover the secrets of a strange world. They're firing on far points, sir. The classic legend begins an all-new adventure. Let's see what's out there. Star Trek, the next generation. The first Star Trek, the next generation. Oh, my God. Encounter at Farpoint. Thank you, Sucky, for this one. You're a top man. Um, I want to come to you and get your, your fact hunt first upon this particular adventure. Okay, we saw Encounter at Farpoint was the pilot episode of the Star Trek Next Generation. And uh, it was created by Gene Roddenberry. Uh, he, the first episode, he, it's a feature-length episode, one and a half hours long, and it was um, for syndication, it was split into two parts, so that's why it's known as episodes one and two, but originally shown as a pilot film. Directed by Corey Allen, and it's written, written by DC Fontana and Gene Roddenberry. And it was shown for, uh, in America on September 28th, 1987. That's nearly 30... Uh, well, it's over 30 over years. Over 30 isn't it? years, yeah. Yeah, over 30 years. And the episode that follows this, I'm pretty sure, is the one that Andrea wanted to pick as the future one, which was the Naked Now. Mm, cool. Here's my little bit of facts. Brilliant fact on that's okay. Right, so Thank I'm just going to quickly go around and find out what everyone sort of oh, well, thought of it when you first saw it, etc. Uh, Andrea, I'm going to come to you. What's your initial thoughts, slash, recent thoughts on this? Give us a <laughs> bit of a vibe. 
Well, I've I've seen it again quite recently because I've kind of have been rewatching TNG, um, and it's got good bits. It's got like it's the, it's the, got that first episode curse, hasn't it? So so it's problematic in some ways. Um, but I think it was interesting to rewatch it and think about how the stories progressed. Yes. Because it was before Picard was the last time I saw that. Um, and it's interesting that some of the threads that are in that episode are kind of still there mm. in Picard. Um, so it, it's problematic. It's not the best episode in the world, um, but it does a job. And there, there are some nice little things in there, I think. Indeedy. Uh, John? Well, you know... I don't like to criticise Star Trek, but this was a bag of shite. Mm. I think the the main <laughs> no, Andrea's right. It does it does uh, as a contrast to how things progress and how we get the character development moving on. It's uh, it's worthy of watching just for witnessing that. But it was really it was a really bad episode. I think um, yeah, but I mean you know it is what it is they all get better from that it's a learning experience for them and mm. I think uh, they definitely had to learn a lot I think whoever wrote the script uh, uh, yeah. for the first mm. one needs uh, you know well unfortunately unfortunately uh, Roddenberry still kind of had his hands on it which made it a bit shit and when he got when they got rid of him it got a lot better just saying uh, Lindsay hello hello um, uh, yes I wouldn't go quite as far as John but it's not great. Um, I value it greatly because it plays a very important part in like the the history of the franchise, and it is the reason why we had TNG, I suppose, because somebody must have looked at me and went, "Oh, there's a series here." Um, but it's certainly not one of the better episodes. I didn't see it until relatively recently, so whatever. I... No, because I, like I I was too young to watch it on its first airing in the UK. Like when it came out, mm. uh, thingied, and while I saw quite a lot of TNG, I didn't see it in any particular order, and I wasn't aware of having seen it certainly. Right. So I probably only watched it when it appeared on Netflix. Mm. Um, yeah. We put it on VHS. I remember it coming <laughs> in from, from Blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, we've got new Star Trek to watch, um, and I remember this like it was like a double VHS, and I, I definitely remember that. So I, I think I've got like a. So I was kind of being very old. I think I was only probably about six or seven, but right. I, I definitely I remember that VHS coming into the house and it being like important, like new Star Trek. Cool. It's okay. Right. I chose this episode, and I thought because I have such great feelings about Next Gen growing up and it just being on at six o'clock on BBC Two, and you'd be able to watch. And I thought, we'll, we'll just go back to right to the beginning and see what it was really like. And because you've got all these nostalgic feelings towards it, and we've also recently just seen Picard, and you just think, oh, it's great, and it's fantastic. Now, watching this episode, it has got some good bits, and as people say, there are themes that are explored further along in the series and in future series. Uh, and you just think, oh, brilliant, that, that's when it all began. But you can see there's a lot of padding all the way through it. And from what I've read, it was meant to, Paramount wanted just a normal 50-minute episode. And then they had to expand it out to a double feature-length episode. So that's why there's probably a lot of padding just added in there to get it. I mean, from what I've read, the whole saucer section, splitting up, that was all added later. 
Uh, McCoy's appearance was all added later. It's just to expand the episode. Well, but it, I did enjoy the episode. It, it just brought so many feelings back. Yeah, it kind of feels like two episodes though, because you've got the Q storyline, and it's kind of tenuous how they get to the the planet and the the giant jellyfishy bit and all that. Like it does feel to me like two different episodes that have been kind of shoehorned together a little bit. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it I- was definitely rem- reminiscent of that Picard issue of there's the A plot and the B plot. And the A plot, which I guess is the encounter at Farpoint, mm. is kind of meh. But the B plot, which is presumably Q, maybe, is well, much more interesting. I thank you for this, Sucky, by the way, um, because I did, <laughs> okay. I did really enjoy it. I watched it on Netflix, um, and then I, I dusted off my old Blu-ray collection, which they did a full remaster on, which, by the way, is what is on Netflix. It's the full remastered version uh, that they did on that Blu-ray thing. However, um, I sometimes forget that actual Blu-rays are better than a streaming service, especially at the moment with it being uh, taken down a bit. So it was a bit old school and, and cool for me to do this because ordinarily I just watched it on Netflix, fine. Um, but took it a bit of effort to take the Blu-ray out and put it in and it looked it looked brilliant. It looked brand new. Uh, Are you going to mention your 4K TV? Because I'm expecting well, that any moment. Uh, oh, giant 4K giant TV. Giant massive forget. 4K TV with my speakers and all that. And I watched it uh, like that last night. I loved it. I, I genuinely loved it. I can <laughs> definitely got his issues, like. Um, and I'm going to start with one right now. When did uh, McCoy turn into some fucking crazy redneck? Why? Why? What are you saying? Why? <laughs> like, what the fuck? That's not McCoy. McCoy doesn't talk like that. It was so weird. Uh, what's your thoughts well, on that? <laughs> by him being a massive redneck, apparently? Well, I you think, know, with I, in, in, initially, I think it's like as you say, there's two storylines, isn't there? There's like the, uh, the the Roddenberry one, the Fontana one, the, the Farpoint and the Q story. And I think they just, at the middle, they just thought, oh, fuck, we better put something that reminds everybody that this is Star Trek. Mm. And then so they dragged him in. And, and I think it's probably an old person's thought of like, what if somebody was really old? Would they like, you know, they've got gone boomer times 10. And that's all they did. They just made him utterly stupid. It was It was... A bad choice. Yeah, but you thought DeForest Curry would go. I know my character. I'd, I've done him for years. I don't speak like that. It's just weird that he would do that. But it did. It's difficult because I think he was almost playing a caricature of himself. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. It just didn't sit right with me. In other episodes, when they have handovers, they manage it much better. Mm. So I think the thing that struck me, having watched it quite late on on my Star Trek life, was. The, they just got better at doing pilots. Like, DS9 is not my favourite series, but its pilots are pretty sound, and the fact that they don't treat Picard with the reverence you might expect them to is actually kind of what one of the things that makes it work. Well, and then with Voyager, you have that moment with Quark, and he's just so in character, and it is so beautifully merged. Like, those things are better, and nobody can deny that um, uh, Bro- Broken well, Arrow is one of the best episodes... Oh, of, it's of, class. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I th- well, I so think, they definitely got better, I think, at pilots. I mean, think. I think for me, I was going to just go through briefly uh, my opinion of the sort of the, the crew after obviously we've seen him and their development and everything like that. So this is their first outing. I think Picard, uh, Patrick Stewart's absolutely nailed it on straight away. Just, well, just, it, just. It, it, his, his very first scene is like coming out of darkness, like he's some sort of psychopath. 
<laughs> I'm like, not silhouette and that voiceover. It was quite like it's like it's of its time, isn't it? But it's like we're going to introduce the big mm. character. It's interesting because, like, for me, you can take it back further than that because when it starts with the credits, like I watched that, and particularly this time when I was doing my rewatches for this, I was very aware of how emotional that must have been to watch that opening sequence as a Trek fan who had never seen anything other than the original series. That's true. Because yeah. it actually, it stands up pretty well and like that theme is phenomenal and you've got Patrick Stewart who, while you can critique the fact that he sounds a little theatrical in the first season, actually that works really nicely for These Are The Voyages. Um, but I think, I, just, I think it's one of them though with Patrick Stewart because they didn't want to cast him. They were, you know, Roddenberry wanted someone you know, like Kirk, basically, with um, hair, with hair, and, or, or you know, what well, I'm going I'm, I'm to say this about Roddenberry right now. I mean, he has got such a bad, bad, horrible reputation uh, within Star Trek. Not only has been, you know, a sort of a sexist, pretty much asshole, um, even though he's created a show which is accepting of all people. Um, there's many a tale about him just being a horrendous human being, but also he's a fucking terrible writer, fucking awful. Um, and, and it's not until they get rid of him or move him to one side like with the movies that first movie's terrible and as, as soon as they moved him away they basically put him in office and said fuck off we're going to do Rothercam got a decent writer and all that kind of stuff and that's why it's a good movie yes he made Star Trek but he is a terrible writer and not a very nice man I'm saying that now and all Star Trek fans who listen to this who love Roddenberry I don't know why do your research there you go um, I can't remember what I'm saying there's, now there's an interesting around. parallel there though in fandom because Increasingly, as a Harry Potter fan, I'm discovering that J.K. Rowling created a wonderful universe and wonderful characters, and is not perhaps the upstanding human being we might like her to be. Um, so it's interesting when that does happen and how fandom manages but, but, it. But she has, relevant of what she's like in a personal life, she has written a, a tre- tremendous material. Roddenberry hasn't. He's no, just, the ar- he, but the he, argument is that the first seven books that she wrote are fantastic, and a lot of the stuff that is coming later. Hmm is not great. Now, the actual quality of the writing is not the issue, it's the, the creative decision-making about it. Oh, right, okay. um, but there's, there's, it's it's just interesting because it's not it's not a, a problem that is uh, limited solely to the Star Trek fandom and to Gene Roddenberry, but mm. you're right, there are some issues there. Oh, massive issues, it, yeah. It's sort of, it's sort of been canonised, though, hasn't it? The other kind of canonised. Um, because it, you hear, like, Gene's vision, Gene's vision gets t- mm. talked about an awful lot. Yes. Um, and yeah, you, you've got to give the credit there for creating the show and, and sort of not being deterred because I think after a kind of, you know, we're talking about this as a pilot, like if you go back to the initial pilot, um, it was like, go away and do it again. Um, and he kind of put that, the ideas are there, but I don't just, know. He was just such a control freak over it because it was his baby. Um, and then but, the, the, but there are all the, sorts the, of other... <laughs> So I was just saying, the more they moved him away from it, the better it got, because they got people in who could write. Um, and it, you know, and if you look at the original series, there's seventy episodes, or whatever. and There's probably twenty-five or thirty that are actually any good. Um, and, and obviously with this one as well, you had DC Fontana involved as well from the old series. So it was pretty much like just Roddenberry. Like I say, when they got rid of him, it just get it just gets a lot better. When they put him on the back seat, it gets a lot better. Star Trek. 
I think if you look at that sort of whole Farpoint storyline, that is a very TOS storyline. Oh, definitely, yeah. And yeah. it's almost there's that, there's those kind of the like Star Trek tropes, aren't they? So if like there's alien creatures, if they're like a bit ugly looking but pretty human, then they're probably going to want to fight you. If they're like. <laughs> If they're like some kind of mist or blob or, or something that floats around in space, then they're some kind of superior life form. Mm. Um, and it, it does kind of fit that. It fits that. I could see that storyline being a TOS storyline. Which so, maybe so explains why I struggled so much with it, because I was just like, I don't really understand what this is about. Like, it just, like, there are similar storylines in Voyager, but they're framed slightly differently. But that's and, when they've got more experience in Voyager. And more money, yeah. Oh, absolutely! Like, and I absolutely get that. There are some moments where moments where I'm like, "Well, that's clearly a money choice," and I like I do get it. But it's like the, money shot there. Wow. <laughs> yeah, the 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 option. <laughs> oh dear! Oh dear! Um, but the the moment that really threw me straight off the bat because the Q stuff works quite well, and I think we have to acknowledge that Q is one of the best characters that has ever Definitely. been created in Star Trek. Whether you like what they do with him later, I, like he's a great character, and the fact that he comes in straight away is phenomenal, and he is crucial to various incredibly important bits of, of canon. So, like, um, one of the things that I got very confused about was that I knew that Q was involved in the first episode, and I knew that Q was involved with them meeting the Borg, and I kind of thought that all happened simultaneously, but clearly, it does not. Um, but so that worked quite well for me. But when you see uh, what what's his name on the station and the fruit situation right um, yeah and when he goes oh i've told you off i've told you not to do that like i was like what is this guy doing like what is he talking to like it just, it just didn't make any sense to me it didn't it does in the end though yeah that's, it does it's but as a scene yeah. it doesn't work it just it felt like a children's well, play where they're like talking to somebody off scene because they don't have an actor to play it like it it felt odd to me. On the subject of Q, to, sorry, Andrea. Well, I was just going to say, to an extent, I think it's got that old school story feel, and I think what you needed, like, kind of put in context, is the sort of late eighties. The only Star Trek TV anyone had seen was the original series, and I think there had to be some degree of sort of the safe and the familiar, particularly for a sort of American network audience, to sell that show. It had to have some. It couldn't be overly radical because I don't. Yeah. They could have. They they could no way have, have sold that show if they'd come out with something that looked more like Discovery in sort of tone and it, in the late eighties. It just wouldn't have gone, would it? And I think there had to be that that transition period to more yeah. modern storytelling. The show when it cut this next generation had to appeal to the masses. That's the only way it was going to get to be a success. If they started doing really really highbrow sci-fi stories with complicated storylines people would just switch off in drought this is not this and, and uh, this was quite, quite and these are new new uh, a new cast so you can't expect anybody they've got to try and pack a lot of character development to a very short space of time to get people to like them and they failed to do that in this episode if they tried, have but to... what, what totally astounds me and i'm kind of almost sad that i suspect we're not going to get episode two slash three um, as uh, our next study, because I watched it kind of because it ticked on, and every time I see I'll, I'll it, tell you a story I'm just, about that. just astounded by how poorly judged that placement is. Because an episode like that only works when you know the characters and you understand how out of character they're behaving, 
and you have context for that and there can be emotional baggage and there's space for that plotline to breathe because otherwise it's just farcical and generally nonsense which is exactly what they got was it not though so they've done the safe episode and gone look it's like it's like it's like old star trek and then they literally remade an episode of old star trek uh, to me they tried to do something that that was a little bit controversial um carpeting was that the reason there's carpeting on the bridge was that the (laughs) controversy well, you know, you know the kind of marks that leaves, John. Well, I was just, I was just gonna, say, I was just gonna say about in, in relation to Q. Obviously, brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and he's definitely hamming it up in this, as he does go on to do, and he's definitely sort of like most <laughs> hammy, uh, but he does come across this, obviously, this amazingly terrifying, you know, godlike force, and I love the way Picard just holds himself throughout this whole episode yeah. and with him. He's full on just like, you know, and yes, they become more jokey and jovial, etc. as the series goes on and everything like that. Mickey Key becomes a bit more of a joke and whatever, but he just, in every scene, he, he just holds himself as this absolute top leader. Um, and he just, you know, like, because it must be so weird going from Kirk to, to Patrick Stewart, but he just absolutely owns it. And the only moment of weakness kind of thing you see is when he's properly tested Riker. Um, you know, when he's doing the uh, saucer back together again, manually. Can we have a conversation about that? God, yeah. 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 so many conversations going to be started. An arbitrary decision that any captain has ever made in Star Trek. The android, the android is going, <gasps> why would you do that? And then Riker does it perfectly on a yeah. ship he has never seen before and how, on which he does not understand how to find somebody and follow an arrow on yeah, the wall. but it's Riker, isn't it? Riker, no, it's saying. not. It's, it's not anybody at that point. Just, no. At that point, he's just some stuck-up arsehole that's appeared on there and grinned at people and just been rude to Geordie. Yeah, but then he just goes, look at me, I can do that. Done it. Yeah, yeah but you can't it. Everybody else did it. <laughs> well, anyway, when he's proved himself, and then and then Picard goes, oh, you know, when he sort of sussed him out, Mitchell, he's all right, and he goes, stop him making an ass of himself in front of kids. Oh, and that. I was like... He's awful. I don't know, he's so cute. The whole story. Terrible. It's got that horrendous curse of the first episode because they're introducing the characters and they're like laying it on with the trowel. Like, how many times did Troy say, I sense this? Oh, I sense the horrible mind. Fucking Troy. I was was going to say, yeah, out of all of them. Can can she stop having an emotional breakdown every five minutes? That would be nice. Troy wasn't Troy in this. She was terrible. And then you've got Tasha Yar, who just... Oh, so angry. angry. So angry. Wow, this is nothing but stand around. They are made up on as a Klingon. (laughs) I want to fight. Like, they really kind of lay these, like, like, data couldn't be any more wooden. Uh, Picard, sort of, they give him this sort of, like, aloof, and just to, like, underline how aloof he is. I don't like children. I don't (laughs) like children. And it's like... It's like the least aloof conversation you've ever heard. Did did, did anyone else think Rolf Harris just said, get in there? No, I did not. But like genuinely, Tasha Yar, it's it's not the actress's fault because I understand. And it's also it's also not. Marv, it's the actress's fault. It's not. It's it's, it's uh, her fault, and it doesn't get any better. Her character is just grim, and it's played at like intensity ninety. I've I've read some books. Apparently, she came from some rape planet. So I'm not. And and she and she bangs Data. Just saying, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Oh, we're, no, not reviewing, we're not reviewing that episode. Well, I'm just saying that she does. Like, she's not all that bad. Um, 
but yeah, bless Marina Sirlis. She is just uh, try is just she has. I mean, she admits it herself. Like first season, particularly this episode, she has no idea what she's doing, and that's quite obvious. And it's just horrible and cringeworthy and weird. Um, but she's just become Beverly, a fantastic character. Beverly Crush is just the same. Why she just she just. I thought Beverly was great. Is distant to everybody and weird. Uh, and the only she, person that acted, the, the only person that acted with any particular realism to what that somebody of that type would act was Wesley Crusher. <laughs> Wesley, <laughs> and that's a sad state of affairs when Wesley Crusher is a fucking Oi, stand. He was great. Episode. It's this space nerd kid. But I, no, I like Beverly Crusher. But that's, <laughs> I thought she was cool when she sort of said, "Like my son just told you," and had that cheeky little smile. I thought she was like spot on. No, but she also managed that situation incredibly poorly. Like, surely the best way to manage that situation would be like, hi, Captain, just to let you know I'm on the board. Would you mind if my son, who is really interested in Starship operations, just came up and said hello? Mm-hmm. No, I'm going to bring my child with me, despite the fact that I know you have explicitly said there should be no children on the bridge. And then she, like, one-ups him by saying, well, he's not technically on the fucking bridge, he's in the fucking turbo lift. <laughs> yeah, but she, she, they've got history, they've got a past. She, she's been, don't she's been, they haven't seen each other for, like, 15 years. That's yeah, the but they have, they have point. a history. Here's Wesley, who may well, they, or may they, not they, be your son. They have, they've, got the, they have a history. They've got the back, yeah. backstory. They've got the backstory for, for the Crusher thing. Yeah, all for, like, And all they do is just lay it on like a trial. So, right, she's going to have this thing with Picard, so that's all she does all episode. It's right. Bad. Did you th- did you also think also when Picard went to see Crusher, he's in the middle of something that's just important has just happened, and he just walks off the bridge to have a little conversation about uh, Crusher and uh, Wesley. Why did he just walk off? Didn't he have things to plan? Well, you know, Earth, Earth humanity is on trial, and so they do fuck all yeah. for, for now. I just I'm <laughs> criticizing choices. That's all the, I'm the, doing. The pacing of pretty much everything was out because, like, even like when the the big barrier appears before them, <laughs> there's like, oh, there's a barrier, and here is eight different lines explaining that there's a barrier, and we don't know what to do about it. And then Picard is like, <laughs> yellow alert. Wait five minutes. Oh, full stop. You've just and, literally heard from seven different people what's going to happen if you hit this barrier. Like, and, can we ramp up the speed of fraction, please, sir? And then just run away. <laughs> yes, and we're going to split apart. Oh, that's going to say. We have yes. literally no indication that Q is yeah. not going to go after the saucer well, section, which you've yeah. left defenseless. Also, I've got, I've got to think about that bit, right? So so you've got the, the, the main part of the ship with the massive fuck-off uh, engines uh, on it, the massive <laughs> engines on it, and then you go into, what was it, what, point nine? Point six or so, nine point six or whatever, and then and then you separate the saucer, which has no fucking engines. It'd be lucky if it had impulse drive, and it's going faster. So they must have slowed down. I just didn't get that bit. It was a bit annoying because I love a saucer. Sep. It's cool, but it didn't do it right. It's for just me. like a frisbee when you throw it. It like you know, run out of steam eventually. Yeah, uh, cool. Thanks yeah, for but it wouldn't. Anyway. It wouldn't in space, though, does it? it and you can't. Saucer, you can... It's a no, no. There's nothing to worse. There's no. But how would so they ever catch on. up with it? So if that's it's got engines. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. yeah, but only like impulse. So unless they start like use the impulse engines to stop and then very, very close slowly start to peek their way back. This is like this is like never well, gonna why, get back to each other. Why are we even talking about this stuff? We know what this episode's about. We know how rubbish it is. Why are we discussing <laughs> this stuff? It was indicative to me of like thrown the kitchen sink at it it's like look we've got 1980s special effects now what can we do i know we'll have a holodeck and we'll like we'll have a saucer section detaching and we'll we'll just do all this shit because we can can we Um, also talk about wet wesley 
Oh yes, oh, I didn't understand that. No, it doesn't make any sense. He's wet when he comes out of the holodeck. Yeah. So unless the holodeck had replicated water to run in the river that was holographic. Yeah, it must have done there that. There is literally no reason for him to be wet. There, there is a line. There is a line said in that uh, when uh, Data and Riker are talking, and Riker, Data is explaining the holodeck to him, and he says uh, that all the all the patterns are in the. Uh, whatever the, the computers are and they recreate them on the holodeck as real so therefore maybe the water has been created as real but and as you take it out, out yeah. nobody nobody yeah nobody switched it off to say no. that you know you've got to give back to dry maybe that's uh, an explanation for his wetness maybe, maybe there is a hollow emitter in the hall outside the holodeck so that people don't accidentally end up naked in the corridor <laughs> who knows I'm just thinking maybe it was just part of that thick characterization because Wesley is quite wet really isn't he so <laughs> oh, you leave him alone how can you pick on somebody that wears a sweater like that how can you do that easily classic <laughs> Wesley fashion in this episode though his mum obviously dressed him He'd have been wet if he'd gone to school with me because his head would have gone down the bog, wouldn't it? I mean, oh, like, you bully. Northeast yeah, stereotype, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless you. Oh, um, can, can, we... can I also mention uh, my favourite character in this entire episode uh, is Con Ensign? Played by ah, yes. Miles O'Brien. What I loved about his performance this time was he just he sat there in the in the in the con seat. Everybody is magically zapped in next to him, and he just looks around and just doesn't give a <laughs> shit. Just laughing with data and that, isn't he? But that's the other is. thing as well. It's like so, like people are just standing in doorways ready to come out and do something. Mm -hmm. It's just weird, isn't it? That doesn't that that can't happen. You know, people. You know, they must have a lot. Of, must be overstaffed if they can have people just standing in a doorway waiting to come to the con. Uh, but yeah, Miles just doesn't give a shit. I love, I love, I love Miles O'Brien. I don't think he gets named for ages either, does he? It's about something four or something. You are. He gets O'Brien, doesn't he? But yeah, I don't think he gets a first name until at no. least four. No. Yeah, no, but there's something lovely about that evolution into like an actual valuable character, though. And I, I like if, if Star Trek does anything well, I think it's things like that. It's the characters who, you know, appear for an episode or appear kind of like behind the scenes and then all of a sudden get a name and a storyline. You're like, oh, I've seen you around because you, you were like an extra. This is exciting. Um, I love the I love the near red shirt death at the beginning as well, that frozen dude. Um, that was yeah, that, well, oh, the, the, the fire yeah, extinguisher attack. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> the one who I'm pretty sure somebody has proven is not Bolana Torres' father. Yeah, of course yeah. they have. Of course they have. Or, or he is one of the two. Somebody's investigated it because there can't possibly be two people called Torres and Starfleet without there being a relationship. Absolutely, but, yeah. It's not a very they, uncommon they, name. But they, they also, because they, they've used that effect once, they have to use it again for Tasha Yar, and then they use it again in the next episode for In the Naked Now, where there's a whole two rooms full of people and they're just frozen. So they mm. must have. Bolt boy, bolt boy, whatever. <laughs> Especially effective was and decided we'll use it in the first three episodes. Uh, I'm surprised Bob, Bob hasn't mentioned the court scene yet. Uh, do you I know what? Love that scene. I've, I've got notes on that. <laughs> um, what about the court scene, John? <clears throat> I mean, I'm just surprised you haven't mentioned it. I know you're a fan of medieval fucking courts in science fiction. Yeah, me, me a massive fan of medieval. Well, not medieval. They're sort of like modern, modern medieval, aren't they? Who knows? I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got pretty was. medieval. 
I've got Here Comes Bob's Red Shirt nomination. Nope. I don't know what you're talking about. I do not know what you're talking about, John. I didn't know it's anything. Really hard, mate. Well done. No, everyone, everyone looked at an equal footing to me in there. <laughs> <laughs> back from the dwarf! Back from the dwarf! <laughs> oh, dear. There you go. Uh, there you go. So that training did help at all, didn't so, it? <laughs> so let me just check. You've mentioned Rolf Harris. You've mentioned dwarves. <laughs> I didn't mention dwarves, you mentioned dwarves. I said dwarf, you said dwarves. So it's totally different. Any, anyway, oh, it's, people, it's, it's people of short yeah. stature, John, actually. So there you go. Uh, yeah, there was a dwarf, and obviously I fucking did that. So there you go. Cheers. Cheers, John. I'll try not to say anything. You didn't have to say anything. You could have just left it. I know. Well, there were at least two of us who, who'd sort of made a, the, the special note of it, Bob. So, <laughs> <laughs> so predictable. But that court scene is fucking weird, man. It's proper trippy. Just yeah. The, it's quite uneasy, like uneasing, really. It's a bit. I don't know what's about. It's something I always remember just thinking, "What the fuck?" Um, yeah, it's just weird. I'm not well, quite I think sure. The fact that it is medieval modern is quite disconcerting. I think, particularly as we sort of rapidly hurtle towards the nexus that they're trying to depict in, the, yes. in society's future. Um, it's slightly terrifying. I do wonder what it is about 1987 that makes people think that in the future people will be wearing foam padding in the army. <laughs> <laughs> and heads like kickboxing headgear. Oh, I did love the drug bit. The drugs, it'll, be drugs nuclear, bit. it'll be nuclear winter, so it'll have some right. sort of like radiation slash Keep thermal protection going on. I did, I did love the drugs bit. Set the edge off getting shot as well. He does a little smile before he gets hammered with a, with a, with an automatic weapon. But as a concept, that pretty much comes back in DS Nine. This idea of warriors on drugs is like pretty much what's going on with the Gem Hadar mm. and the um, which call it. Is it not? I've got to be honest, I know a lot of people who take a lot of drugs and they would all be shit in a fight. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're not, have to really no like, not like it depends on the drug that you're taking, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I don't think they yeah. take part. I think they're more steroid-based. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, definitely, definitely going down that road of steroid-based. Um, oh, cool, right. The con- so so the, other, the other issue with the, the court theme, so, like, John Delancey is fabulous in his fabulous outfit being fabulous. Um, on the slightly ridiculous chair thing, which actually works pretty well as a, a kind of thing. I but found that strangely arousing. I have to say, I, I've, I've never noticed that before. <laughs> but I think it just—I think it might be just part of my quarantine vibes. Uh, eh, quite possibly, but like then you've got um, Tasha Yar. Oh, bless her! Uh. It's just so incredibly ridiculous in this scene. And then Diana Troy is equally ridiculous. And you the whole barbarian. That's what she said. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, Tasha Yar and her righteous anger is just something to behold. Somebody once told me that that was the Star Trek character I most reminded them of. <laughs> 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 I was totally offended. Uh, um, I'm not entirely surprised. Uh, <laughs> that's cool. No, it's, it's right. I'm going to go quick fire now. I'm going to go quick fire. Andrea. Uh, oh, God, you always pick on me. Yep. Um, I did have a point to make. Um, I liked the little pink and blue jellyfish at the end. I thought that was yeah. sweet. A little boy jellyfish, a little oh. girl jellyfish. You said gender stereotyping. Just talking of gender stereotyping, there was men, there was men in their dresses, which is quite cool, wasn't it? Yeah. I have That's literally that. written all the scans. Yeah, why is it called a skank? Because I thought people were saying skank for a long time. <laughs> and skank Trek was one of my themes for Destination Star Trek, but um, I, I did discuss. Why is it called a skant? I know it's like know. skirt and something, but. It's skirt and pants. Yeah. Oh, wow. There you go. Perfect, yeah. 
Well, like American pants, I think, because they've got like shorts underneath them. I think. Oh yeah, I mean, like a no. skirt. I would call yeah. it a skirt. <laughs> yeah. Lots but the thing is, right? People go on these like mad runs, like because apparently Star Trek's all like walk and shit now, because it's like, you know, it, it's a little bit more representative of people. But like, in 1987, putting a guy in a dress would be seen as pretty like progressive. Like it's not new, is it? And also, it's just like a just a massive, like muscly dude in a dress, isn't it? It's just like yeah, yeah, I just Absolutely. like dresses, isn't it? Unisex, yes. I mean, to be fair, they <laughs> kind of they slapped Diana on the bridge in a pair of FMBs and a yes. miniskirt, something for the dads. It's still there, isn't it? But like, considering it's sort of of that time, that would have been that would have like people would have noticed that. Yeah, and I think for all that, I will absolutely call out some of the really problematic things that exist in Star Trek. There are decisions all the way through it that are surprising and are interesting, and there are questions of sexuality and there are questions of gender identity and of people who are species where there is not a clear definition or where there is a third gender, and all of those questions are raised, which is what astounds me when people behave like twats in relation to... to I don't think uh, twats is an appropriate word. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, yeah. it's probably not, but I'm busy trying to modify my uh, I think language pref- in relation to mental I think, health. I think, so we prefer, I, I think we prefer the word cunt. <laughs> I think you'll find that somebody who owns one, we don't all. Um, uh, I prefer fucking Melvin. Wow. Jesus Christ. <laughs> come on, come on. <laughs> What's going on? Shooting fish in a barrel, Bob. This is ace. Even I'm, even, <laughs> even, even I'm. To be fair, we're both enjoying it though, so mutually beneficial and consensual. We'll take that. Oh, cool, Andrew. Have you got any more notes? Um, the only thing, uh, just sort of in that thick characterisation, he, he, he isn't in it that much. But we we missed Geordie's out with his I'm blind. He was like Ron Burgundy in the, the sort of. <laughs> I'll tell you, one of the, one of the things that made me laugh a little bit was when uh, the beam down to planet or whatever. Riker met with Geordie and he went, Geordie, you're the eyes. <laughs> I was like, fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> you sarky bastard. Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry, Andrea. Um. Shall I come I back to I... you? Shall I come back to you? Come back to me. Come back to me. I'm sure. John, more. have you got any more thoughts on this here episode? It's always me second after Andrea now, isn't it? I don't know. Just saying names. Just, you've got you've got a list. Is there an order? He's, he's Sucky. Sucky. Yes, darling. I'm coming to you because John's doing me head in. Okay. <laughs> right. Uh, Riker. Uh, Riker as a second lead. You expect him to appear a lot sooner than he did, but it's a half an hour, over half an hour before he actually appears on screen. And uh, he's just like basically walking around and doing his little staring up at space, looking moody, looking and grinning at people. So that this is the beginning of Jonathan Frakes uh, start of his Star Trek career. And he does look quite good, but I think he looks a lot better with the beard. Oh, definitely. Don't you think? Absolutely. Do, right. do you not think they kind of tried to frame him as the, the sort of Kirk yes. character? No, people, yes. That's exactly, like, exactly what he's there for. He's like funny yeah. reaction man, wasn't he, basically? Yeah. Like, they, they needed that kind of presence there to, to reassure the viewers that it hadn't changed completely. No, that's exactly but what he's Somebody's got to flirt with all the aliens. Yeah, but the he thing... He doesn't flirt with them, though, does he? I mean, no, he he's fucking riddled, basically. <laughs> I mean, like, the honest best stuff out of yeah. it. We haven't talked about the ridiculous greeting between him and Troy. Yes, that yeah, was stuff. That's one thing. Oh, oh. Okay, go ahead, Suki. 
that, no, that, that was it. I was just going to say, what was going on when Deanna and Riker meet up again on the bridge and she's telepathically communicating him, him Zardy and all this stuff. Um, Picard just doesn't seem to pick up on all these looks that these pair are giving each other. And he just thinks, oh, they've worked together, not realising that they're probably bonked. And I, think I don't think there's any probably about it. Okay, they are bonked. Like, initially, though, they do present him as someone with slightly, like, it's certainly socially awkward. Like, he hasn't got great social skills, has he? And you would think, like, you'd think he'd be a little bit better at reading people and they kind of characterise him as. He's a bit like, well, what's going on? Well, none of them are nice to any of the other members of the cast at all. All of them are just weird about... And they're supposed to have a love interest and they're just, like, staring at each other like idiots. It's weird. Uh, yeah. It's definitely weird. It's okay. And, well, he carries on further along, doesn't it? When you got him, Troy wants to go with him on on the on the planet, mm. uh, but he, he he pulls rank and goes, "No, I'll have these these pair. You go off and do. Uh, oh, he has data, and you pair go off and do whatever you got to do." And, uh, and a bit later on, she calls out to Big, and he has to pull her up again, uh, say, "Look, concentrate on your own job, and let me concentrate on mine, basically." Right, so all this thing between these pair, I mean, we've seen it now, what, 30 years later, they're still married with two, right, they've had two children together, right, so you can understand the feelings that they've got, but this is the start of it, and it just does not seem to, uh, doesn't seem right at all, it, the, no. the, the actual relationship does that, not seem but to that, but you know, Like I said, Marina Sirtis, she is openly admitted that she was a total duck out of water when this all sort of started. Um, and it's not her fault that there's it was a fucking terrible script pretty much wasn't it so um yeah. you know it's that you can't really blame them and she was a very young actress at the time as well um in 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 the 80s do you know that uh, she uh, auditioned for the Tasha Yar role the Tasha Yar uh, was uh, auditioned for the Diana Troy role yeah. and neither of them were decent enough at that one so they switched them around no, it, it makes sense. Imagine that being the other way around. It'd be very strange. It'd be like Keith Moon playing in the in the Beatles. You know, it's just. But it, but it could be really interesting because I think the problem with what they did was they cast a conventionally here's, attractive here's woman fan, with long hair. It's the fanfic angle. Go on. No, no, like not at all. Um, but like they can the way that they've cast them. Like Diana is, you know, she's got long hair. She's like she's just more conventionally kind of soft, I think, than Denise Crosby. She was uh, she was thought of as more exotic. So for a, a non-human, she was kind of that's why they went with her rather than Denise Crosby because Denise Crosby was really, just too, really. It might also have Denise, to do with how she looks in a, in and a dress. Cros you know. And Denise and Denise Crosby was more all-American blonde, mm. that kind of thing. That's why they didn't do and that. And also, she gets a dress at the end, by the way, as well, does Tasha. She's a scant at the end, yeah. She's a scant, sorry, <laughs> at the end. Even though it's con uh, concealed by behind uh, whatever that desk You is. can still see enough, Sucky. Um, Sucky, can you? Come like, on. That's not something I've ever <laughs> She also has the longest death scene, or like the longest like memorial, I think, in any of Star Trek, which, given that she was only in... Totally un undeserved. Precisely. Awful. Anyway, right. moving to the is the window screensaver death scene to or memorial? <laughs> have, you, have you got any marks? Okay. Yeah, I've got quite a few. Uh, there's also uh, there's also you know you guys are uh, saying that Riker was uh, built up maybe to be the Kirk character. Well, the, he's not actually noticing any of the other female crew members, but the female crew members are noticing oh, him. Oh yeah, definitely. So that what little, a guy. Uh, yeah. 
that little ensign that he asks uh, where her data is. As he walks away, of course, she she just looks him up and down, doesn't she? Right, so the female crew members are noticing him, but he's not noticing them. Right, so uh, there's that. Then male there's director, it, oh, male writer. Yeah, there's a few things on this thing. I've got to say. But um, then also, you've got Data's stunt double, which is one of these scenes that they've, they've there's memes of it out there that I've seen on a couple of occasions. Right, and the, when uh, Wesley Crusher falls in the water, then you've got Data's stunt double doing all the jumping up and down across all the little rocks to get to him, get pulls him out. And you can tell blatantly because the camera is fully on his face that it's not Data, it's not Brent Spiner, it's some other guy, and it's just, I, I, I'd have thought that would have edited that a lot better than he did. Uh, another couple of things, some of the original uh, designs for some of the characters was that Gene Roddenberry, I believe it's Gene Roddenberry, wanted three breasts for Deanna Troy. Yes, he did. No, you're right. Uh, you're it, right. Was, it was four, wasn't it? He wanted four. Oh, he wanted more breasts. That's for sure. Yes. Yeah. And he was, uh, he was by uh, DC Fontana. She goes, no. Thank Christ can, for that. Egg. That is not going to happen. There is but literally the, no way you can do that without it turning sleazy. Yeah. So, but the the argument that he did win was that Wesley Crusher was originally a girl called Leslie Crusher, and uh, they. The, the, the the production team all wanted a female daughter, uh, a daughter for Doctor Crusher. Well, it was all <laughs> female vetoed. Daughter. Female daughter, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Uh, a daughter, <laughs> a daughter for Crusher, but uh, it was vetoed by Roddenberry himself. And when he turned around, says, "We ain't going to be able to make storylines for a, a teenage girl, right? So we want a teenage boy." He can't. Make, previously stated, he couldn't make Gene Roddenberry was problematic. You couldn't make up storylines for any female by the sound of things. <laughs> or to be fair, any teenage boys, because let's yeah. face it, Wesley's storylines pretty chrome. Well, the thing about the the, the the sort of point of Wesley was he was going to be, you know, what, you know, basically in, in Roddenberry's mind, <clears throat> he's thinking that you know young boys predominantly watching this, and that's therein through this sort of geeky, you know, aspirational figure. You well, know, did he know it would really be Deanna Troy? Yeah, but it's so it's yeah I don't know it's um it's just yeah it, it, there's loads of that in this and to be fair you know Rod, like I say Roddenberry started off this excellent idea um you know in Star Trek embracing everything and all that kind of stuff and um he really did he got he got a lot worse I think I think the more he lost control of the of the of the show the worse he got if you see what I mean uh, and the more controversial he got shall we say have you got any more notes okay. Uh, just one more, which is like the Ferengi are mentioned for the well in this episode, yes. and they were originally supposed to be like the big bad of the seasons, and they're meant uh, the uh, the way that they're portrayed here. There's like uh, power hungry, uh, flesh eating uh, monsters basically, and uh, I'm not sure of the did they use the flesh eating in later series or not? Did they well, they've try? Got the, they've got the big pointy teeth, haven't they? Uh, but the Ferengi are shit. Apart from like Quark, whoa. Uh, well, no. Apart from like the like. Wow, you hang back. Those Ferengi are fantastic. Shut up. They're terrible. Terrible. I think the, ori- terrible. the original conception of the Ferengi was awful, but they then saved it quite quickly. Oh well, well, well I mean, with, with Quark and uh, you know, and his son and, and his brother and everything, like that, they're great. They're great Ferengi, but they're played by fantastic actors. The, the yeah, thing is, you made the Ferengi sound. Seven- 
they made them sound absolutely terrifying, didn't they? And they're like yeah. soft shit, aren't they? Basically, they're like big-eared bumheads. Like, yeah, like they're just a bit greedy, really, aren't they? They're like. They're not exactly hard. They they tend to shit themselves in a fight. So <laughs> they, they, I think they were pretty much missed. Like uh, won't last long in fucking Newcastle, would that? They uh, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know. Even sense. with their electric whips. Uh, Lindsay, have you got any more bits that you'd like to add to this? Yeah, a couple of things. So I was so I was saying earlier about that that first um, like the graphics and things that are right at the start. The star field, apart from anything else, really struck me. Like the it just it looks very three-dimensional because you've mm. got like that, that that sense of movement works really well um, and the, it's one of those things that if they hadn't got that right it would have been really obvious right the way through i think um, there's been some significant star uh, sort of space-based films done so i think they kind of cracked the technology for that sort of stuff in, in time for 1987 yeah well, and that's great that it's there and it's being used and the other thing is to remember that this is obviously a tv series that doesn't have the budget of a film and not like the the tv series that we're now seeing where they're spending stupid money on it yeah. presumably it would all be done on a shoestring shoe we did have lots of polystyrene rocks didn't we yes i believe there was uh, they'll move away from that in the following episodes when they what, realize what, 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 what i will say sorry to interrupt you Lindsay, is that the the effects that you've seen on netflix are far superior um, to the original transmitted version. Um, to That's the point, what I was going to ask. Yeah, well, to, ask to, the, to the point where you're saying about the stars and everything like that, that was all sort of redone kind of thing. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> not like, not like okay. you know, like, I mean, you know, the, the, obviously the, um, the, the the big jellyfish at the end, that was all sort of redone. Uh, the star, everything, everything's been re- redone and sharpened up so much, like unbelievable. Um, and on the bonus disc on the on the Blu-ray, they show you the difference between the two. Oh wow! Okay, I can but, imagine. It's quite I happen to know the, the the sort of budget per episode. Yeah. Because uh, I watched a little thing on YouTube, um, and it was um, it was quite interesting. Um, and apparently, sort of the TOS, they worked on about two hundred thousand dollars an episode, um, and this came in at one point six million. An episode. <laughs> Yeah. Which is still comparatively low compared to mm. is is that for both episodes or like it said per it? episode, so I'm guessing per kind of because they were talking about that they maybe get kind of six minutes of film a day, um, and when you're putting together sort of you know what twenty four episodes, it was pretty much I think it was like ten months on set, and you were on set like ten hours a day. I think it was a pretty grueling schedule. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I think I'm, I'm trying to put that into sort of context for the time because that sounds like a lot for 1987. It was. It was but... I think it was like, the the average was a million pounds an episode, um, but pretty much. I'm oh, sorry, million dollars an episode. Mm. I think that was the the sort of the, the budget to it, which is you know it's a lot of money, but it, they had to pump a, a lot of money into a lot of money into it to make it sort of be taken seriously and make it look good, um, well, which they did. Yeah, which then also they would have probably put pumped a lot of money into that pilot episode because it's all the sets that have started up there which is a big massive bridge set mm. and then you've got all the other corridors and stuff so once all that's all set uh, in place they can then uh, off, offset all, some of their costs in other episodes as a given you've got like a, a cast of hundreds in that first episode as well so you know you can imagine the, the, the money went down really fast well you've, you've also the thing is with it as well You've also just got this. Um, what, what are you laughing at? It's okay. No, I'm just saying the band. I was just uh, the cast of 100, and uh, the bandy. Uh, it, they only see him in the marketplace, but in the <laughs> actual bandy town, 
Right, there's nobody. Right, so <laughs> True. They'd already like abandoned it by the looks sound looks of it. I forgot what I was gonna say now. No, I forgot what I was gonna say now. Anyway. Um, cool. Have you got any more, Lindsay? Yeah, one or two bits. Um so um the uniforms of the zips, the zips are problematic and I know that in the first couple of seasons, like they were basically in really small uniforms to make them look tight and like sprucey, I don't know. Um but yeah, the, the zip up the front is pretty grim. They get better at hiding zips going forward. You, you, you aren't allowed creases to be seen in Star Trek uniforms. No. Uh, the only reason I know this is because apparently when, I think it was before Discovery came out, a photograph of Jason Isaacs in a um, in his uniform kit and there was a crease in it and apparently there was like <laughs> hell to pay because what? this photograph was released with a crease in a Star Trek uniform. That's Shocking and appalling. Um, I suspect they didn't give him lycra that was two sizes too small just to make it stay <laughs> Oh, I think we probably would have noticed that. <laughs> well, actually, I, I'm going to shut up. Uh, I'm just going to shut up. Cause... You go away and enjoy that thought. Um, the, the bit where Picard's like, we're only going to use printouts uh, to make sure nobody can overhear us. The most ridiculous idea ever, because it's clearly electronic to get it to the printout, and the fact that they have printout machines is ridiculous, and it's ridiculous. It's a very poor order. Well, that that that's definitely a, a TOS thing, isn't it? Well, precisely. The whole thing is just nonsense. Um, I really have issues with this. Oh, don't let me make my make an ass of myself. Like it just the way he broaches it with Riker does not feel very Picard. Like, it's very much a, I'm going to layer in this plot point to, to make sure everybody understands that I don't really get children. Like, the whole thing was just unnecessary. There was a, there was a complete lack of subtlety for all the characters. Oh. In this, in this um, the Geordie the conversation with um, Crusher, like, I see what they were doing, and in some ways I understand that they were setting up what the visor does and how it works and what Geordie's condition is. Um, but A, there was no real reason why he was having that examination and this idea that he's in chronic pain is not very 24th century or 23rd century or wherever it is we are and mm. they should work on that is that they your, don't know do they is that for a your, while is that your well, I don't know did they ever really mention it ever again yeah, oh no, yeah it's it always about yeah, yeah. him being in pain yeah that would be mm. quite a lot uh, but you, he, you should watch the show. Lindsay. <laughs> I've watched it I just haven't watched it repeatedly in um, the way that I have watched some other Star Trek have you got any more Lindsay? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. John Boy. Uh, no, I think everybody's pretty much covered everything of note. Andrew, I'm just going to come back to you. Did you have any more to add? Um, I think that's me out. Cool. I just want to sort of say as well, just to, I don't know if he's aware of it or you are not aware of it. They had an absolute nightmare, um, particularly on uh, TNG, with everything. Uh, I mean, production, writers getting sacked left, right, and centre. It was absolutely fucking insane. Um, for the first definitely couple of seasons and I think that's this season season three syndrome comes into Star Trek quite a lot where it starts getting good um, you know that's what people sort of tend to lean towards and it wasn't until then and bearing in mind it was 24 episodes a season or whatever so you've had nearly 50 episodes if not 50 before they start finding their sort of you know their, their sort of beat or the, you know settling down um, it must have been just a horrendous nightmare and a lot of that's to do with you know um, the the, the the um, what do you call them production company and the, the network and Roddenberry a lot a lot of Roddenberry being an absolute nightmare um, so yeah it was just a, a fucking disaster um, for the first couple of seasons behind the scenes so the guys to be fair to them the cast and everything did a sterling job just getting it to where it was eventually uh, but then it, it 
with with all this this stress kind of not going away fully but taken away the development of the show really got going so yeah and it, 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 <clears throat> i've said it before and it's always worth coming back to like despite the fact that as an episode of star trek this is not fabulous the importance it has within the canon can't be argued oh so. it's, I, I mean i i i can see all, all its 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 failures but like I say, to sit back and, and watch it last night on my Blu-ray, dust off my Blu-ray, watch it on my big telly, I, I fucking loved it. Um, but I, I get what you are all saying. <laughs> anyway, let's get our lights out of five. How many lights, you see? lights! I asked how many lights, you see? Let's put some lights on this bugger. John! Uh, well, uh, you're coming up to me first, right, okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be realistic about this one. I'm not giving it any benefit of the doubt as as the whole seasons go on. I'm just looking at it as the episode aired, and it's a two lights for me. I knew you'd and it should on. really be a one, but uh, I'm I'm just like I still like Star Trek, so two. Wow, um, uh, Lindsay. Um, again, I'm not going to be quite as harsh as John. I'm going to go with two point five. I think mm-hmm. it's okay. See, I'm going to give from this from a nostalgic point of view, and so I'm going to give it the extra mark because of that, because it did bring, did bring up a lot of good memories mm. uh, of watching this, just sitting with my family watching it. And so I am not going to give it two and a half. I'm going to give it three and a half because it's nostalgic for me. So yeah, three and a half. Cool, Andrea. Uh, I was going to give it two, but um, I'm giving it an extra half. Just for, for John Delancey being king, basically, so it's, it's too much. Well, I'm going to give it five. I really enjoyed myself. No, I did. I really, 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 really enjoyed myself last night watching this on my Blu-ray. Uh, and whatever, I just, I just think it's. I mean, it kicked off one of the biggest and best franchises in in television history, um, and I just just kicked back and loved it. So I'm giving it five. <laughs> There you go. Anyway, enough what we think. Let's find out what you think. It's time for listeners' feedback. What did you think to this to this tale? Uh, John, you go first, my friend. Uh, Shep Steep Dive says, I remember watching it with my dad when it first aired and he loved it, but I was bored. I've watched it many times since and enjoyed it. John Delancey outshines Patrick in this opening. And that's a shock to see after Patrick is phenomenal in the role later. Riker is like a huge theramone, just smiling at every lady. Nice, they added in bones, which his story didn't make sense, but they defo added to grab the fans in. Troy is still a wet dream now, like she was then. Six out of ten. <laughs> and in lockdown, I've started to rewatch the whole series. Yeah, cool. Well, 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 well done. Um, it's okay. Oh, we've got Dwayne Bunny off uh, the Sorens of Audio. <laughs> Audience. <laughs> Sorens of Audio. And he's poor. It was good. Cheers, Dwayne. Uh, Andrea. We've got Doctor Whom, um, who's also forward slash Sean. Um, Love TNG with all my heart, but what a crap start. Horrible outfits, cliche writing, hummy acting, dodgy makeup, and that god-awful thinly veiled rethread of the worst Star Trek movie. I mean, you're going to make a TV series and you think, I'll remake that movie everyone hated. I'll just pop off and get myself a coffee now. I'm not myself until... Cool. It's okay. Oh, back on. All right. Well, uh, we've got Tom. Is it? Is, is it your turn? Lindsay. 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 Sorry. Go, Lindsay. Go on. It's all right. I'm. I'm okay. Um, so we've got Tom uh, Turlow. 
Tarlof? Tarlo, I think. Um, I was so excited when I heard there was going to be a new Star Trek, as I'd been a regular viewer of Kirk's Bocatal, but by God, it got off to a poor start. Dull, plodding, turgid. The only bright spot was John Delancey's cue. The next gen got better, but it was slow going. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much indeed, Tom. Um, Bruce Wayne. Uh, so in Catwoman at Firepoint, uh, Fire a.k.a. Please cue politely. Uh, the episode definitely suffers from uh, first episode-itis, a bit clunky in parts. Actors yet to develop into their characters and too many crowbar plots uh, moves uh, moves to help to help explain the characters. Um, it's evident production values were lower at the start too. Fairly cheap uh, set tricks and polystyrene rocks, but hey, we grew up with Doctor Who uh, at the side of, uh, and at the side of those episodes uh, contempor- contemporary with Next Gen. Um, then I recall how expensive it looked and how much better the uh, SFX were. Uh, it continues. Uh, DC Fontella, who, also, who, who co-wrote this, the episode, having worked on TOS, uh, said of her work, the best thing they shows, uh, the, the best shows are always about people and creating characters from scratch. I usually, I usually go to their strengths first and then their weaknesses. Uh, it seems no wonder she used. Uh, it seems no wonder she was used uh, for the initial episodes and it shows. Um, with the characters so firmly projecting their personas in order uh, to let the watchers catch up with who they are. Now, the best parts, introducing a great group of characters, even if I uh, wanted JLP to slap Wesley around and throw him out of an airlock. Wow. Um, but also, also, Q is one of the best Star Trek characters of all time. John Delancey was a bit, a bit more ham than Hamlet, uh, but that suited the role mon ami. Uh, it, it, all, all in all, it was good, if not if not a perfect start to the new track. Uh, and with all its faults, I have fond memories of uh, seeing it and uh, what it led to. Thanks, Bruce, and I hope you enjoyed your wood. Uh, John, I don't know who this is, by the way. Don't you? Don't you really? <laughs> I honestly don't know. Don't you know? Not a clue, John. Neither have I. I think it's Same. Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is Deb. Oh, right, okay, so how long is this one? Let me just check. It's quite oh, long. It's a, it's, oh, a, it's a big mouthful, John. She likes that as well. <coughs> okay. Oh. Shut up. <laughs> Thank you for prompting me to watch Encounter at Farpoint. It was TNG that made me love Trek, and it brought back so many memories. Yes, it looks dated in places, the characters are not developed, and parts are clunky, but as a first episode of a series, it's wonderful. It dives right in with action after making the decision to hold back on introducing some of the main characters until later. Data is straight away awesome and stands out as the most interesting character, and it's clear that Riker is intended to be the Kirk action hero with a grumpy old captain staying on the ship. I watched this when I was a CND activist in my early 20s and was shouting slogans on huge demos in Hyde Park. I am older than Grandad. Who's she talking about? What's a, C- what's a CND like activist? This was the late 80s. Uh, we had alternative comedy, unemployment, and Rick Astley. We had Thatcher and Reagan, and we feared nuclear war. We had the most stupid US president ever. Oh, how hindsight oh, changes perspective. Yeah. And then there was the hope of the emerging Gorbachev in the USSR, a trial of humanity that ultimately reflects our, ultimately highlights our potential is perfect track and so relevant to that time. The first episode establishes the principle that humanity had involved into explorers who would use violence as a last resort. Races work together and respect difference. Maybe it had a way to go and truly understanding and respecting women, but TNG truly depicted the 80s time of hope in the midst of fear. I am feeling so nostalgic for the adventure ahead. Let's see what's out there. Sadly, the hope and anger in the late 80s can now be viewed with the despair of today. 
and the trek of today reflects the turmoil we are in now. Star Trek survives because it evolves with us and is able to put us on trial by showing us who we are and who we can be. Also, thank you so much for my wood. I will treasure it. You're welcome, Dev. In, the, in your little box. Um, yes. John Major. Um, right, cool. Thank you very much indeed, listeners. Um, don't forget to keep it a comment because we love hearing and reading out your feedback. Anyway, it's time to vote for this week's Red Shirt. Red Shirt, Red Shirt. Who's this week's Red Shirt? Let me come to John first. Uh, it's Lindsay. What? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Straight away. Well, because immediately she was, uh, she was on about... Oh, just on about stuff, and you know, I just, it just made me want to vote for Lindsay. Yeah, she was just like, I mean, about, she was just like talking. Don't, don't try and deny it, Lindsay. You were on about stuff and speaking. <laughs> so no, no, I don't know. I don't know why I just chose Lindsay because I'm imagining that she will be choosing me. Lindsay, so get my punch in first. Lindsay, actually, I'm going to go for Sticky. What? Voted this a four point higher <laughs> than my fast. episode from last week, and I'm Ooh. really offended by that because. I'm you my reason for Wow. Oh, so one for Sucky, one for Lindsay. Uh, Sucky. Well, my original choice was John for the use of the C word, but I thought. Oh, cunt. Yeah, what's with that? <laughs> yes, that word. And I thought. Oh, then all of a sudden, Lindsay's just gone because of this point situation. I'm now sort of torn between the pair of them. Right, so but I'm going to go with my original choice of John. Wow. One for Lindsay, one for John, and one for Sucky. Andrea? I'm nominating John. Because yeah. I think it was an absolute bastard's trick to bring up, bring up little people just to try and say <laughs> that. that was thanks, terrible. Andrea. Not that note too, Andrea. Don't give me that. Yeah, thanks, thanks Andrea. <laughs> I, I just that. got on the bandwagon though. I didn't. <laughs> I, I know you That's joined fine. in quite quickly. To be fair, That's uh, fine, yeah. I, I'm going to vote for John as well from being a backchatting little shit at times in this podcast. Um, well, it's not backchatting. It's, it's not. You're not a running authoritarian dream here. You're not How Trump. Dare you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So there you go, John. It's yeah. you this week on the red shirt. Anyone want to? Anyone want to give him a death? <laughs> I think he should have to watch uh, Encounter at Four Points on no. repeat for a hundred years. A hundred years? I can barely watch it once. Yeah. I think you should have to spin round and round in the saucer section like it's one of the waltzes. <laughs> I, 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 I think he should get covered in, covered in accused ice jizz um, <laughs> and die that way. How about but we you do, do all know, three of them simultaneously? But you yeah. do know, after watching that for a hundred years, he's going to end up like he's going to end up like McCoy. <laughs> boy, right, boy, 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 boy. And then boy. He'll... what you talking about, boy? <laughs> boy. And then he'll spin around in the saucer section while being sprayed with cues, jizz. <laughs> oh god, this sounds a fucking terrible death, John. I can no, only, no. apo- only apologise. It's cute, like the space traveller, like spinning it to make it go faster as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all and things. <laughs> All them things are going to be involved in your death, John, this week. Um, Space traveller. Anyway. Well, that just makes me think of Wesley Crusher and his three-fingered friend who he goes off with. Does he take him bowling? <laughs> um, Can I just say, space traveller is the most politically correct thing I've ever said on this show. That's really well done, by the way. Yeah, because that could have gone really badly. <laughs> yeah, think about them Ferengis. Um, anyway, let's, uh, <laughs> let's move on and find out what we're going to be watching next week. 
Andrea, you're telling us what we're watching next week, and I'm excited. I can't wait. What we're going to be watching, Andrea, pray tell us. And why? I, well, I had a few ideas, and quite a few of them were quite predictable. Um, so my choice is The Wrath of Khan. Um, oh, yes. Because um, many people say it's the best Star Trek film. Um, I think it's the kind of the non-fans film of choice. Um, it's my dad's favourite. It's my brother's favourite. I kind of grew up with it. I haven't seen it for a long time. Um, and I'm quite interested to see, like, one, how I react to it now, and two, how other people do. So that is my choice. Thank you very much. We Thank did, you. Just John, just... you were complaining about double bills. Well, yeah, fucking. Yeah. I didn't know we were doing movies as well. All uh, of it. This is so unfair. All of it. We, we, we did this uh, about a year ago, didn't we? No, yeah. I don't think it feels a lot sooner yeah. than that. Oh, God. Yeah, we, we did this uh, a while ago, me, John, and Sucky on the uh, Turkey Seat. I'm just going to check, see if I've got my notes, see whether I have to watch it or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, thank you, Andrew, because I, 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 any excuse to watch Ruffer Card, so thank you very much for that. Uh, so that's what we're doing next week, folks. The uh, Star Trek trip to the Wrath of Khan. Um, anyway, thank you very much for listening, and thank you guys for joining me. And uh, we'll be we'll be uh, oozing in your ears next week. Thank you very oh. much. Good, oh, speak good, for yourself, good, sir. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Beyond the darkness, beyond the human evolution, is Khan, a genetically superior tyrant. Exiled to a barren planet. Banished by a starship commander he is destined to destroy. Left for dead, he has survived. I'll chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round Perdition's flames before I give him up. There she is. to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me, marooned for all eternity, buried alive, buried alive. Sean! Sean! At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Opens at a theater near you, June 4th.